Lord God, we come to you in this time and we give you thanks that we can indeed seek you each day, understand you through your word, be blessed in this time of worship and understanding of the scriptures. We pray that you would indeed bless us as we look at your word to understand all the more what you have to say to us this day. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. When I was a minister at my church in Colorado, the church there had a uh, preschool at our church. And I would have the privilege each week of uh, doing a chapel time. And so we would bring them into the, the sanctuary and we would have a little worship time. And then I would teach them a little lesson each week. And one Sunday, um, one of the families from one of the kids at the preschool came to visit our church. And I was getting ready to go in the sanctuary. I was dressed in my robe and my stole. I was all formal. And so I welcomed the family, introduced myself, and then thinking that the boy would recognize me because he'd seen me from week to week, I said hello to him. And he just looked up at me and he said, Are you Jesus? <laughs> and I said, No, thank you, but I am not Jesus. Now, as you look at me, you know I am not Jesus, right? <laughs> yes, you should be shaking your head now. You know I am not Jesus. But the Bible tells us that we should be like Jesus, right? And that when people see us, they should see Jesus in us. Well, this morning, as we are moving along in the story, uh, there's 31 chapters. We're on chapter 25 today, so we are getting along. But today, we are going to talk in chapter 25 about Jesus. We're going to see who Jesus is. We're going to see how Jesus is God. And we're going to see the importance of that, both in general and for us in particular at one point in Jesus' ministry, he was with his disciples, and he asked them this question, Who do men say that I am? And the disciples responded with some answers. They said, well, some people say that you are John the Baptist, and some people say that you are Elijah, and some people say that you're one of the prophets. Well, let's think about that for a moment. Now, John the Baptist, I can't understand I mean, because John the Baptist baptized Jesus, right? They were at the same place at the same time. So how could he be John the Baptist? Kind of silly, but they were saying that. Now, Elijah, you can maybe understand. Elijah was one of the Old Testament prophets, and he was one of only two people in the Bible that the Bible says did not die, that God just took them to heaven. Enoch was one, and Elijah was the other. So maybe because Elijah hadn't died, right, maybe he had come back to this earth. So you can maybe understand that statement. Or maybe when they said one of the prophets, because Jesus spoke with power and uh, authority and with profound impact on his teaching, right? I mean, it, it cut to the core of people when he taught. And so people were trying to figure out who is Jesus, right? You know, the truth is that today people struggle with who Jesus is as well. A lot of people think that Jesus is just, was just a good man, right? Or other people say, well, Jesus was a, a good teacher. Or still others think, well, maybe Jesus is you know, like a religious leader, right? And so they have these, these concepts about Jesus. It's been found out that many in the younger generation don't even know who Jesus is. Sad, but profound truth. I remember when I was a kid, we went to, to church when I was really young, and then our family stopped going 
So when I was like, I don't know, seven maybe to when I was 15, I didn't go to church anymore. And I would imagine that at that time, if you had asked me who Jesus is, I probably wouldn't have really known who Jesus is, right? Just because we know who Jesus is, we assume that other people know who Jesus is. But, but the truth is, so many don't. Barna did a research on this, and he went around asking Americans this very question, who do people say Jesus is? And he found out some interesting answers. First, he found out the vast majority of Americans believed Jesus was a real person. They believed that he was a person who lived on the earth and walked around the earth, right? They believed that Jesus was a real person. In fact, um, you've seen it in movies too, right? The Da Vinci Code talks about Jesus. South Park even talks about Jesus. And so you have this sense of our world at least knowing that Jesus was a real person, although in many ways they fictionalize or mythologize who Jesus is. Well, second thing that Barna found out was that younger generations are less likely to believe, they might believe that Jesus was a person, but not believe that Jesus was God. In fact, only 56% believe that Jesus was God. 26% uh, believe that he was just some religious leader like Buddha or Muhammad, and only one in six believe that he was divine. So a very low percentage. Well, Barna also found out that Americans are divided on whether Jesus was sinless, right? The Bible teaches us that Jesus, even though he was fully man, he was also fully God, and therefore he was perfect. He was sinless. But many people don't necessarily believe that he was sinless. Only 52% believe that Jesus was sinless, even though the Bible specifically speaks of it. Byron also found out that many Americans say they have made a commitment to Jesus Christ. Now that's interesting to say. If you go around and talk to people, they, they say they've made a commitment to Christ. Now the question is, what kind of commitment? Does that commitment actually play a role in their lives? That might be a whole nother survey, another question. But they say at some point in their life they'd made a commitment to Christ. About 60% say that. And then Barna also found out that people are conflicted on how you get to heaven. A lot of people, a lot of people believe that you just have to be a good person. You just have to do a lot of good things, do good works, and that will get you to heaven. Even though the Bible specifically says that Jesus, faith in Jesus, and what Jesus does for us in forgiving us our sins, only in Jesus do we get to heaven. Still, there's so many people that want to believe that, no, it's, it's the good things I do that get me to heaven. Jesus looked at them and he said, well, who do you think I am? And Peter gave a very profound answer when he says, you are the Christ or the Messiah, the one who saves. What a profound answer. This is so important for us to understand. If we were asked the question, who do you say that Jesus is? Hopefully we would say this answer. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You're the one that forgives my sins. You're the one that gives me eternal life. You're the one that died for me and paid the penalty for my sins. You are the Christ. And as Christ, Jesus had a mission. And Jesus called people to follow him in this mission but he wanted more than the casual follower. He wanted more than someone who was just curious about who he was. He wanted someone more than just those who would come to him and say, please give me healing. Jesus 
wanted people who thought of him more than just a good person. Jesus wanted disciples. He wanted those who would follow him and commit to him. Jesus said it very strictly when he said in Matthew 16, 24, and read the underlined part with me. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You know, when I was first a Christian, I, I read this verse, I was told this verse, I was taught this verse, but it's confusing for me. What does it mean to take up your cross and to follow Jesus? And I realized what it meant was that you really need to, to put away your, your life that doesn't have anything to do with blessing or benefiting God or the kingdom of God, and that it means that you need to follow and focus on really living for God and serving God. And so I began to evaluate my life. And I looked first at the fact that um, my words were not always nice. I wasn't always kind when I spoke to people. I was actually often sarcastic. And so I memorized a verse from Ephesians 4.29. Read that underlined part with me. It says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for the edification according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. I remember it even to this day. I memorized it back when I was 17. I memorized it because I wanted my words to be of edification. I wanted my words to bless others. I wanted my words to be a good example to who I was as a Christian. And so I started to memorize that verse to help me in that part of my life, to follow Jesus more fully. And I looked at my music, and I realized that my music was all non-Christian music. In fact, it was a lot of hard rock music. And I thought, well, maybe this isn't the best music, especially when I was first a Christian. All these influences in my life, these, these thoughts that maybe it's putting into my head, I didn't want that as I was trying to really fully commit myself to the Lord. And so I put away my, my old music. I even gave away a lot of my albums. Albums. You remember those, right? We all remember albums. <laughs> We don't have any, that many younger generations, so you guys know it. Records, right? And so I, and I gave my re records away, and I started listening to Christian music. Then I looked at my friendships, and I said, well, what about my friends? And, and I realized that all my friends were non-Christians, and I said, well, that's not a good influence in my life right now. Right now, I need to be focused on Jesus. I need people who lift me up and, and encourage me to live for the Lord. And so I started hanging out more with my friends at church and building relationships with people at church so that I could have that good influence in my life, so that I could take up my cross and follow Jesus. I needed to do that in my life. And maybe you might need to do that as well. You might need to evaluate certain areas in your life. Are you taking up your cross, denying yourself, and following Jesus? Is there anything in your life that might be keeping you from making that full commitment to Jesus? And if so, as you evaluate your life, you may need to get rid of something or, or bring something more into your life to help you do that. Isaiah 55, 8 to 9, and whenever you see underlined parts, please read with me. Isaiah says, from, uh, speaking about God, God is actually speaking to Isaiah, and he says, my, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, what? So are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We need to put away our thoughts and start seeking the thoughts of God. We need to put away our ways, deny ourselves right, and start 
following the ways of God. And then Romans 12.2 tells us, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It's hard to be transformed into Christ, to be like Christ, if the influences that are in your life are not leading you in that way, right? And so you can't deny yourself and take your cross and follow Jesus if you have all these influences that are leading you in a different way. You can't be transformed, your mind can't be renewed, and you will not be like Christ, which is our call. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And when he saves us, he wants us to transform our lives. But thirdly, we see that Jesus had some amazing character qualities that are important for us to not only see, but for us to follow and live out in our own lives. One of the most remarkable things about Jesus is that his character was flawless. And so if we are to be transformed to be like Christ, then we need to begin to be more and more flawless, right? And you're like, wow, that's really a high calling, right? And yeah, it is. It is a high calling to be like Jesus. But it's a great goal to have in our minds. It's a great goal to set before us, to have our character be flawless like that of Jesus. If we are to his disciples, then we are to become like him. And so what do we see in the life of Jesus that we should impart in our lives? Well, there are many, many, many things. And I encourage you sometime to do a little study on that. Read through the Gospels. And when you read through the Gospels, read with the, with the eyes of looking for the character qualities of Jesus. And when you come across a character quality, say, make a note of that and begin to think about your own life. Am I even close to being like that? What do I need to do to be more like that? And write out the different character qualities of Jesus that you see. But I want to talk about two this morning. I'm going to talk about light and love. John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus knew that he was God in the flesh and that he could shine his light into this world, shine his light into our lives, and that by shining his light into our lives, he would lead us out of the darkness of this world, out of the darkness of our own sinful ways, and that he would lead us into that right path, going down the, the way he wants us to live, right? So he shines his light for us. See, people walk in darkness all the time. There's all kinds of different darkness. There's the darkness of deceit as people try to hide their sinful ways. Or they walk in the darkness of broken relationships, struggling to make their relationships right. Or they, they walk in the darkness of drug and alcohol abuse, looking for, for that as just kind of an, an out, a way to escape the pain and the problems of the world. They walk in the darkness of depression. They walk in the darkness of low self-esteem. They walk in the darkness of having a lack of purpose in their life. And all these areas are darkness because they lead us away from God, away from the joy of the Lord, away from living the life that God has for us. And so we, we get in, involved in this darkness and it's, we find it difficult sometimes to even see that we're in darkness. And so we need Jesus to shine his light on our lives to point out those areas where we're living in darkness. 
See, the good news is that as light, Jesus can come and take you out of that darkness. His light will shine for you to see a better way to live. His light will shine in your life so that you can have forgiveness for your sins, that you will be willing to confess your sins, admit your sins, and then receive that forgiveness. His light will shine in your broken relationships and restore those relationships. His light will shine on you and give you the strength to get past that, that alcohol or that drug abuse. Maybe you, you're not in that, but maybe you have a friend that's in that, and Jesus can lead them out of that by his strength and break their addiction. He can replace depression with joy. He can remind you that you are wonderfully and fearfully made and that you are beautiful and amazing person and that you can live with a high self-esteem, not a low self-esteem. Maybe the world has beaten you down and you just don't believe in yourself. You just don't think that you're this amazing person. But God says, you are an amazing person and I want you to see that. You are a gifted person. I want you to be fruitful and have a meaningful and purposeful life. Jesus shines his light in that way and shows you the way to get there. And then ultimately, he, when he shines his light in you, you start to get it. Then you begin to shine his light. And others can see Jesus in you because you're shining the light of Jesus. Well, another amazing quality of Jesus is that of love. Jesus loved like no one ever did and no one ever has since. Jesus is the epitome of love and calls us to love like him. We see Jesus' love as he loves outcasts and the afflicted and the, and the burdened and the hurting and the sick and the lost. Are there a few of those in our world today? Maybe. Jesus loves them, and Jesus wants us to love them. There's all kinds of people in your life around you that need the love of Jesus, and that can be seen through your loving them. What a great opportunity we have to love people for Jesus, to love people like Jesus. One beautiful uh, example of love we see in uh, chapter 25, when Jesus loved the children. And he did it in a powerful way. He did it in action. You know, when uh, Tammy and I first started dating, uh, through our date, I love to think back every once in a while, uh, our dating experience, because you know when you're dating, you, you do all these fun things for each other, right? You have all these outings and these, these dates, and, and you do special little things, right? You write notes all the time for each other, and you, know, you leave those little things for each other, right? Well, one, one major act of love I did for Tammy one time, I wanted to show her, you know, we were about dating for about two months, and I wanted to show her that I loved her. I think about a month into our dating, um, I knew that I loved her, and I knew that I wanted to marry her. She didn't know that for a long time after that, but <laughs> I had to convince her that that was true, right? <laughs> we were going to be together. But a month into it, I knew, and so... Um, Two months into our dating, we came up to uh, Valentine's Day. So I wanted to show Tammy that I loved her. Now, I had a beard at that time, and I'd had a beard for 10 years. And during that 10-year period, two times I tried to shave off my beard, and it lasted maybe like two or three weeks, and then I just grew it back. I, every time I looked in the mirror, I was like, who are you? And so I would just grow my beard back. Right? I could not keep my beard off. But Tammy had made this little passing comment one time saying, you know, I really don't like beards. <laughs> so I'm thinking, man, if I'm going to marry her, I'm in trouble here, right? 
So the night before we're going to go out for Valentine's Day, I shave off my beard. Now, if you've ever shaved off a beard, you know it is not an easy endeavor. It takes a long time to get that beard off. I mean, you have to do a lot of, a lot of steps. So I shaved off my beard, and I looked in the mirror, and I'm like, who are you? But okay, Tammy doesn't like beards. <laughs> so I go to her house on the day of the, uh, their date, right? And I, and I ring the bell, and then I turn around. Because I didn't want her to see me through the peephole, right? You know, I wanted it to be a surprise. So she opens the door, and then I turn around, and she's like, who are you? <laughs> no, she knew who, who I was. But it was a major step for me. I mean, maybe it doesn't sound like to you. That it, was ma- it was a major step for me to show that I loved her. I mean, to shave off my beard was a major step, an act of love. You know anything about Jesus' time, you know that kids, in a lot of ways, were almost like property. They were not thought of uh, being very important. And so when Jesus came to this one situation, people were bringing their kids to Jesus. And they were, they're coming up, and, and the disciples didn't think that Jesus had time for kids. Jesus, the disciples didn't think that the children were important enough to come to Jesus. So they were trying to keep the children away from Jesus. But Jesus ultimately says, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for such belongs to the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, in his loving children, showed a great amount of love for a group of people who were not thought of very highly. But Jesus said, no, we need to love children just like we love everyone. Well, next we talk about Jesus' words and actions. One of the most important, profound truths of the Bible is that Jesus is God, right? Jesus was fully human, and Jesus was fully God. One of the things you might have heard at some point, it says, you know, like begats like, right? So when a human has a child, it has a human child. When a cow has a baby, it's a cow, right? And a rabbit has a rabbit and so forth. Like begats like. And so when the Holy Spirit impregnated, put Jesus in Mary, the Holy Spirit being God impregnated Mary with the God-man, Jesus. Jesus is God. And that's an important and profound truth for us. See, one of the challenges to the Christian faith, is that not only does the outside world look at Christianity and try to say Jesus wasn't God or Jesus isn't the only way to heaven, but many inside the church, may surprise many inside the church question whether or not Jesus was really God. And this is such a profound truth. This is the, the most profound truth, because if Jesus was not God, then he could not have sacrificed himself on the cross for our sins. We would not have been able to attain salvation. So this core belief is so important. We see Jesus show himself to be God through his words and actions. There's a true story about uh, a young man named Bill. Now, Bill was kind of, uh, had wild hair, wore holy shirts and holy jeans, you know, before holy jeans were popular and usually no shoes, right? And he became a Christian in college. And right across the street from his college was a, a conservative church. And one day, he's like, you know, I've been a Christian, but I haven't gone to church yet, so I think I need to go to church. 
So he goes over to church. He got the time wrong. And so when he walked in the church, a church service had already been going on for a while. In fact, the pastor was on the stage preaching. And the church was packed. And so Bill walks in, wild hair, holy shirt, holy jeans, no shoes, right, into this conservative church. And he starts to walk down. It's a long aisle, big church, right? And so as he's walking along, it's packed. And there's, he doesn't see any, any seats. And people aren't you know, moving to the side to let him in or anything. They're just looking at him. And as he's walking, all the tension starts to go on Bill and not on the pastor, right? And so Bill, he's walking down the aisle. And he's looking for a seat. And he just keeps walking and walking. I mean, walking right to the front. And he gets almost the front, and by this point, the pastor has stopped preaching. And he's standing right in front, and they're just kind of looking at each other. And finally, Bill just looks around and kind of shrugs his shoulders and sits down on the ground. He's going to watch the, the sermon from there. Now, in this conservative church, the people are stunned, right? And they're like, what do we do? I don't know what we do. So this old deacon, gray hair, uh, three-piece suit, starts to walk down his cane, makes his way down, slowly down the aisle, and people, you can see, they're kind of like nodding their head, like, okay, he'll take care of it, right? And so he gets to the front, and they figure that either, you know, he'll try to find a seat for Bill, or he'll ask him to leave, or something like that. But what he does astounds everybody. He drops his cane, and he sits on the floor, and looks up at the pastor. And at that moment, the pastor continues in his sermon. And what's so profound about this true story is that the pastor could probably have said, well, it's so nice that uh, you came, good to have you here, and then continue on the sermon. And maybe that would have made a few people comfortable. Maybe other people would still have been uncomfortable. But by showing this act of love, this deacon showed to everyone, wow, we shouldn't be judgmental just because he's dressed in this way, looks this way. Look at the great love that our deacon showed to him. And you know what? That was a powerful statement to Bill as well. A powerful statement that he sat there with him and in essence was walking with him, right? And showed him love in action. 1 John 4, 9. Read the underlined part with me. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Jesus showed love in action, didn't he? He sent his only, he came from heaven to earth. He died on the cross so that we might live through him and have life through him. See, the truth is, Jesus never came out and actually said the three words, I am God. But through his words and through his actions, he did show his love and show that he is God. And in indirect ways, he also said that he was God, right? He said things like, if you want to know God, then get to know me. If you want to have a relationship with God, have a relationship with me. In John 14, 6, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In John 6.35, knowing that people were hungry for significance, he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You want to find meaning, you want to find satisfaction, come to me. I will give it to you, as only God can. 
Jesus, knowing that people were fearful of death, in John 11, 25 to 26, said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Now, I know we read this a lot in memorial services, but this is a, a verse that has to do with our life here as well. Remember the verse, die to yourself, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Even though you die, you shall truly live because you are dying to the will of God. It goes on. Remember the story of the paralytic, right? His four friends cut a hole in the roof and lowered him down in front of Jesus. And the paralytic man is laying there and he's looking at Jesus. And the first thing that he hoped Jesus would say was, your sins are forgiven. I mean, uh, not that. He hoped he'd say, you're, forget you're healed, right? Get up, you're healed, right? That's what he came for. Heal me, Jesus. But Jesus' first words to him were, your sins are forgiven. You're probably looking at him like, what? That's not why I'm here, right? But Jesus knew that having your sins forgiven is more important than any physical healing that you could have. And we know that only God can forgive sins. So for Jesus to say those words, your sins are forgiven, he was in essence saying, I am God and I am capable of forgiving your sins. Remember, after the resurrection, when the disciples were scared and they were huddled in the dark room and Jesus came and visited them, and Thomas was coming toward Jesus and, and saying, you know, I want to make sure that you're really Jesus. Let me touch your, the nail holes in your, your hands and in your feet. And Jesus said, go ahead, come and do that. And Jesus started walking to him, and then he realized, wait a minute, he really is Jesus. And he, he kneeled down before him. And he said to Jesus, my Lord and my God. Now, if you remember scripture at all, you know that many times the angels visited the earth. And many times when the angels visited the earth, people bowed down before them to worship them, right? Because they were these magnificent beings. And every time the angels would always say, theologically correct, right? They'd always say, we are not God. You do not worship us. You only worship God. But in this moment, when Thomas kneels down and says, my Lord and my God, Jesus doesn't correct him and say, no, don't worship me. I'm not God. Of course, Jesus says, yes, worship me. I am God. Even though he never said those three words, I am God, verbally, many, many, many ways, through his actions and through his indirect claims, he showed that he was God. He is God. His works show us that he is God. John 10, 38, the miracles, he says, the miracles I perform show themselves to be evidence that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. We are one, Jesus said. We know his miracles to be healing the sick and driving out demons and even raising the dead. And through all of these things, it is evident that Jesus is God which is so important for us to understand and to believe because it's the core of our Christian faith. As we think about who Jesus is, his mission, his words, his actions, his being God, it should all draw us back to a deeper love for Jesus. See, we see that Jesus humbled himself, left heaven, took on flesh, dwelt among us, so that we could see who he is and we could begin to follow his example and live like him. And he came so that we might have life and have it abundantly. He came so that we could be more loving people, that we could 
do things that honor God and that we could live out the will of God for our life instead of being lost in our sin. Jesus came so that we could have life and have it abundantly. It shouldn't take much examination of understanding who Jesus is to begin to have a deeper love for Jesus. Why, though? Why is that important? Well, it's important because we live in a world that is constantly drawing, away, drawing us away from God. We have a world that gets so busy, makes us so busy, that our focus is on the things of the world and not on the things of God. But the deeper love that we have for God, the more we will want to be in relationship with Him and the more we want to live for Him as a people and as a church. See, you're constantly falling short of living the life that God created us to live. But when we focus on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, we are able to live a more abundant and worthy life for Jesus. 1 John 4, 8, and 9. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because what? God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. You know, the truth is, if we are denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following Jesus, then we should be transformed in our character, and we should be able to love more like God. All you have to do is look at the way you love and say, hmm, is Jesus really alive in me? Am I really fully committed to Jesus? Because am I loving like Jesus loved? Who do you say that I am, Jesus asked you. Yeah, he was a good man. Yeah, he was a great teacher. But more importantly, Jesus is God. The Son of God, come to this earth to take on flesh so that we might have forgiveness of sins and so that we might have eternal life and so that we might have a life abundant and so that we could really live and enjoy this life that God has given to us. I pray that we would live in this wonder and live in his love. Let us pray.